My name is Diddy. <laughs> and I'm non-binary. <laughs> My pronouns are she, they. And I'm queer. And this is me officially coming out. <laughs> Affected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens coming to you from dystopian Burlington, Vermont. We're going to get philosophical on this episode, and we're going to talk a lot about the breakdown in society and as expressed through the breakdown in civility. Think of this most of this episode is going to be an extended version of my grocery store stories, which a lot of you say you like, so I hope you like this. Um, I brought it up on Twitter, and I got a lot of validation. Thank you. Actually, really, thank you. Because it's really, really good to hear people say, I see what you see. It's not just you. Yes, I know. You know, I'll tell you what. I, I can hear my therapist in my head right now because I have conversations with him in my head um, telling me that I need to depend less on outside affirmation and more on myself. And he's correct about this. But there's a limit. And when you spend years being a Cassandra, when you are one of the kinds of people, I'm not trying to, I'm not the only person. There are other people like me, but I am one of them. I'm a Cassandra. When you spend years noticing out loud things years before it's socially acceptable, you have to go through a lot of you're crazy, you're exaggerating, you're histrionic, you're projecting. I find it tough to take. I'm not all the way there. I'm not a Buddhist. I don't, I am not a rock that water just flows over while I sit there with equanimity, no matter how much perhaps that is a goal that I should strive for. That is not me right now. So I'm very, very glad to hear. I'm going to share a lot of stories with you. Many of you watching are also followers on Twitter. So uh, thank you. You've given me a lot of content for the show. Let's talk about it. I started it out with this, this tweet. Something happened to people on the left. They've largely been wrong forever. And I was when I was on the left. But they weren't insane this way. It's not just policy. It's their entire being. They've all become rude, deranged, and awful in an everyday way. I grew up in a Democrat town, several Democrat towns actually, in the Northeast for most of my childhood, five years in Southern California. The adults of my childhood were nothing like the awful, horrible, rude, bully-loving adults that are the left in any 
the heavily blue area that you go to today. So that's how I opened that Twitter, that Twitter thread. And it got a lot of reaction. I'm going to share some of that with you. Mrs. Bennett says, It happened the day after the election of 2016. The tone on NPR, National Public Radio, went from very liberal to batshit insane, obsessive about Trump. My coworkers were weeping in public as if their side had never lost an election before. They became, quote, the resistance. So everything they do is righteous. Yep. 2016 was one such turning point. Terlingua Girl on Twitter says, I think part of it is living in a hermetically sealed upper middle class bubble. Contact with working class people had a grounding effect that no longer exists. It's Alice versus friends. Ha, really well spotted. For those of you who don't know these shows, Alice was a sitcom in the late 70s and early 80s about a diner starring Linda Lavin and Polly Holiday, who was Flo. Kiss my grits. Very working class. Friends, of course, was a sitcom in the 90s of very upper middle class young people all living in an impossibly, well, not impossibly, but an improbably large apartment in New York City. And I do think the class separation, the lack of contact between people of different classes has um, contributed to this. It's a ch Actually, all of this that we're going to talk about tonight, all of these are chicken and egg questions. I don't know which is the chicken and which is the egg. Sometimes I see that in on one day it's you know, phenomena A, phenomenon A is the chicken, phenom phenomenon B is the egg, and the next day they switch places. It seems to go around in a circle. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that lack of class contact has a lot to do with it. We've always been, we've always been a country that denied that we had a class system. We like to say that we don't have classes, and we like to say that because at least those of us who still remember any foundational principles of, of America, one of our foundational principles is that everybody has the opportunity, everybody can rise higher um, if they're willing to put in the work. That doesn't mean that it always works. It doesn't mean there aren't unfair situations. There are. But, th but this is a goal that we strive for. Um, so we've always had, despite that, we've always had a divide, a cultural divide between Middle-class people and then upper-class people, the academic jet set, the coastal elite, and rural, everyday, workaday, working-class people, including poor people and, you know, working poor people. But that divide is much, much sharper today. The amount of hostility from middle-class people, middle-class and lower, toward working class people is astonishing today. It's not just hostility, it's active contempt, it's loathing. Um, next contribution to this conversation comes from Tim, Tim Cleland. He says, it's TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. 2016 and the establishment's reaction to it gave legitimacy to seeing everyone to the right of them as evil fascists. They see their side wielding all the power within our institutions as proof that they're right, and the power trip has all made them mini tyrants. Yeah, I think that ties into the class thing, too. They don't get pushback anymore. They finally won in their sphere. They don't have to hear from anybody else. It's gone to their heads. And then Intuitive Mama says... 
I grew up in a super lefty old hippie town. We protested to keep Walmart out in the early 2000s. And she puts a, a, a laughing react after that. Those same people I marched against Monsanto and GMO foods with 12 years ago, they were glad to see people like me barred from public life in 2021 because I didn't want to go GMO myself. GMO meaning genetically modified organisms or, you know, Frankencorn. <laughs> as it is derisively called. I am going to say nothing and justify that. I'm not going to soften it because I want the comments. Now, I want people screaming at me in the comments saying what an uh, what an anti-intellectual Luddite I am. Come on, do it. Be single-minded. <laughs> Crypto Bob says, one of the things I realized about a former friend was I underestimated how much hate he has for, quote, the right. We got along because I never cared about politics, but once I took a stand against COVID insanity, he couldn't handle real criti criticisms of his team, so he hated me too. Oh boy, is that familiar. It takes me back to, it takes me back to a couple of years ago when I knew the writing was on the wall at my job, my former job of 20 years working for a consumer nonprofit. And, um, a woman I'd been friends with for a couple of decades, friends and colleagues uh, that I used to uh, spend some time with at Christmas when, when I was on my way home to see my family, uh, sent me an email letter um, saying that she had agonized over the fact that she can't invite me to spend Christmas with her because I didn't get a vaccine. And, and the email prior to this was just a chatty email. She was checking in with me. I was checking in with her. Um, and I mean, this never used to be normal before 2020 or 2021, but it became, quote, normal very quickly. She asked my, my vaccination status and I responded, actually, um, I did the thing that everybody thinks I'm not capable of doing. I didn't lose my cool. I played it. I played it nice and light. And I just said, yeah, I've decided that, that that's not for me, but I understand that you're I understand the position you're in. Um, and if that means that we can't see each other for Christmas, I will miss you. But I'll think about you when I'm seeing my family and maybe we can hit it again next year. That's all. I left it very light and nice. Week later, I got a long letter about how that wasn't acceptable. She agonized about that. And what it came down to was her saying that I had failed in my responsibility to other people because I wasn't protecting them. I was dangerous. These are not her exact words. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But she did say that had she still been on the board of directors who were my supervisor, she would be putting forward a motion to bar me from traveling to meet our constituency around the country uh, because I would be a danger to them. I mean, she just went completely overboard. Uh, and while she didn't know it then, because I kept my mouth shut for the sake of the organization, she ended our friendship with that letter. And when I quit the job, I told her exactly what I thought of her, which is, you are not a person that I want anything to do with. Good day. Incineroar King, nice username, says, as another former leftist, I know the effects ideology can have on people. I used to suffer from severe depression, and it disappeared immediately when I switched over. Believing in leftist I ideology fucks people up inside. Yes, yes, it does. I am a former leftist. I've also been a depressive most of my life. Um, I am certainly not completely emotionally healed, as is apparent to anybody who knows me or watches me on this show. But... I have been less depressed, angry, yes, nervous, yes, neurotic still, yes. But I have been less morbidly depressed, like I can't get out of bed 
I don't want to face the world. I'm going to sit in bed all day. That hasn't happened to me in a while. And I don't think it's going to happen to me again. Again, chicken and egg for you. Um, I don't know if the, well, for any of us, does the misery and the depression, is that the chicken that pushes out the egg that says, I'm going to change how I see the world because I'm miserable because of it? Or is it the other way around? I don't know. But they do seem to go together. Stephen Carlson on Twitter says, in response to my initial tweet, he says, didn't you take their deconstruct bourgeois norms seriously? Good question. He's, he's reasonable to ask it. They're discovering, starting with those Ivy League presidents, that their absence is going to smack them hardest and worst. And next we've got uh, Michael S. who says, these, he's referring to people on the left, these are the stewards and caretakers of social structure and behavior. They've been captured by the individualistic antisocial devices. They're experiencing a lot of internal strife as they're betraying their ideological spirit. It's subconscious, but this is what they feel. <clears throat> and he's right about that. A lot of this is subconscious. Some of it's beginning to creep into consciousness. And when, when cognitive dissonance starts to go from your unconscious into your conscious, when it's on that borderline, right, it, it's, it's unpleasant. People react. They get squirrely. They get angry. I certainly did. Um, and some people tamp it back down. But other people can't tamp it back down. And, and it comes all the way to the fore. That's what happened for me. That's what's happened for a lot of you. Uh, certainly those of you who shared these stories with me on Twitter. And finally, in, in this round, we have Stumptown Girl, and she says, Marxist critical consciousness took over K through 12 schools in the 1990s. Those kindergarten kids are now emotionally dysregulated 33-year-olds who have been brainwashed to believe the only way to succeed is cry bullying. Yes, correct. Before I move on to the next section, I'm going to close this up with a story that I wanted to tell and then I, I, I did actually tell on an audio episode, but I never released it because I was so upset when this happened that um, I listened to my retelling of that story and it, it was just too over the top. I could not control, I couldn't control my anger. Um, this was one of the most infuriating and shocking things that's happened to me in a while. This took place about... How long ago did this, Kevin's actually here in the studio today, which isn't usual, he's usually in another place, but we're making it together. Do you remember the, the Walmart story, Kevin? Was that a year ago, would you say? Eight months ago, I guess. Eight months ago? Okay. So about eight months ago, I went to uh, Walmart, and it was the first time I'd been to this Walmart in years, because uh, I usually didn't shop there. But there was some stuff that I needed, and I went. <clears throat> Yeah, eight months ago, because it was it was last winter, and we're in winter now. Got I got a number of items, got some groceries, got some big stuff, got up to the front end. And there is a line of customers, probably 16 or 15, 16, 20 people deep. There were zero cashier-staffed checkouts. None of them were open. Zero. It was all self-checkout. All of it. So this line of people back around, down the aisle, and then it started snaking down the housewares aisle. Because we're all employees now, aren't we? What, do you expect me to ring your stuff up for you? 
You fancy? So I'm already irritated by this. And it takes 20 minutes to get up to one of these machines, which is going to give me trouble because it gives everyone trouble. And I'm looking, there are like eight of them open. And one employee, there's one employee standing there simply monitoring people doing his job for him. Yes, I know. I know he was assigned to watch that. He was assigned not to check out. Uh, I'm criticizing Walmart, not the employee, although I'm going to get to the employee. There, there are elderly people in there who are having a really hard time with the computers. You don't even have to be elderly, okay? I often have a hard time with them, and I'm not... This is the thing. Are you, are you a generation or two younger than me? You think the problem that people like my age have is that we don't understand computers? Listen up. I started programming on computers in BASIC in 1984, okay? I knew computers literally before you were born. We are not anti-computer. We invented them, not you. But the problem is things have gotten so much more complicated and they, the standards change so quickly. They change within months now. Didn't used to be that way. And I don't know the computer system at Walmart because I'm not a Walmart employee, am I? And neither is anyone else there. I don't have muscle memory for how Walmart's proprietary software system works, right? So this is a slow and laborious process. Anyone who's used these checkouts understands that. Beep, and then please place item in bagging area, and it goes on even if you have placed the item in the bagging area, right? It's slow and torturous. And if you make a mistake, if you make one mistake, only one, you have to call for an employee. I double scanned something last night. I had to sit there and wait for two minutes for somebody to come over to me because they're not going to let me delete it, are they? Because I might steal. You would think that this would actually cause them to second guess their decision to make self-checkouts, but so far it has not caused that. All right, so back to Walmart. I can, I can digress from one grocery store to the other in the same story. I had a, I don't remember what it was. It might have been a, a, like a five gallon jug of kerosene or it might have been an appliance. I don't remember what it was, but I had a very large unwieldy item in my cart that could not, it wasn't, it's not that I'm not strong enough to lift it. I am, I put it in my cart, but it could not be maneuvered in such a way to make this tiny little aluminum square where you're supposed to scan things. I couldn't get this thing on there to scan it. Now I'm, I, I tried. Why did I try? Because I was trying very hard not to ask that lone employee for help. And no, not because I'm just a nice person, because I don't, you know, I'm not like that. I don't think it's actually an imposition on them to ask them for help. But they believe that it is. And other customers now believe that it is, too. I didn't want to get yelled at. I didn't want to get dirty looks. I didn't want to get treated in a sullen manner by requesting help. And that's that's what normally happens around here. So I tried, but I couldn't do it. This gentleman, who was probably 60 years old, he stood there watching me. He could see me doing this. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm putting it down. I'm sighing. I'm thinking if I can do it another way. And he's watching me the whole time. You understand what this means, right? He is aware that I'm having difficulty and he's refusing to help. I lost it. I didn't scream. I didn't curse. Oh boy, I wanted to. But no, I mean, you know when I go off and I, I tell people on the show things like, get fucked? I don't do that in public. Very, 
very rarely will I ever get that direct. I can do this on my show in this context, but I don't actually treat people like that in public. So I didn't scream and I didn't cuss, but I, I was done with this bullshit. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was very close to this. I raised my voice so that everybody could hear. And I walked away from my cart and I stood and I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? What is your job here, sir? He just looks at me like this. Yeah, what are you doing? You have stood here and watched me struggle with this. You have a hand scanner. Can I have a help from your hand scanner, please? He gives me the sullen swipe. What are you, why are you doing this? I said, it's not only me, but look at all these elderly people over here who are standing there, not able to scan anything, and you are doing nothing. Why are you doing nothing? What do you get paid for? Is there any other portion of your job, sir, that you would like me to perform for you while I pay full price? And I messed this up a little because at part of this exchange, I had to ask him for bags, paper bags. I had not been to Walmart in years. I did not know and could not know that in the interim, Walmart's new policy is they don't provide any disposable bags. You bring, they're Costco now. You bring your own boxes or you buy Walmart's bags. So all this is going on. And then I have to ask him for bags. Uh, we don't have those. You buy ours. Mm. And I just, it was so ridiculous. So yeah, I dressed him down. I scolded him with my voice at this level making sure everybody could hear me. And some guy behind him starts telling me to shut up. What's your problem, man? Lay off him. Hey, hey, you buddy, you take some responsibility for yourself. You take some responsibility for yourself. I don't remember exactly what I said back, but it was something like, who the hell do you think you are? I wasn't speaking to you. But I want you to notice what's going on here. Whether or not anyone liked what I did, whether they liked my tone of voice, Nothing I said was unreasonable. It is not unreasonable to expect a store clerk to help you when their machines won't do what you need them to do. I'm not weird. I'm not a special princess. I ask for no special privileges. This guy literally knew I couldn't get it done and he didn't give a shit. And he made sure I, that I knew he didn't give a shit by standing there and staring at me while I struggled. And the customers, the, well, this customer, the guy yelling at me, was on his side. I was the abuser. I didn't do my job. I didn't take my responsibility. I couldn't fucking believe it. You see, I'm getting, I'm getting hot. This isn't even the, the, the peak of the story. So I get my order done. I get it all into the bag. And I go out the front doors. And that guy, that customer who yelled at me to take some responsibility for myself, started walking behind me. I could, I could see out of the corner of my eye that he was pacing me. He was making sure that he stayed at the same distance from me. And I said, this guy's going to fuck with me. What's he going to do? Hey, hey, why don't you take some responsibility for yourself? You need help. You know that? Have you thought about getting help in therapy? Oh, <laughs> oh, so provocative. I told him to go fuck himself and get away from me, which I was perfectly within my rights to do. Do you know what he did? He kicked me. Yes, 
he kicked me. I said on Twitter, because I didn't know how to describe this well, I said on Twitter he kicked me in the shins. He didn't kick me in the shins. He kicked me on the butt when I was walking, when the back of my boot was facing him because I was, I was in the middle of a stride. He went and kicked me right in the boot to make my one foot hit and kick my other foot. Now, I was so stunned by this. I was enraged. Full, furious, I could kill you rage. I have only been this angry a couple other times in my life. It was the kind of anger where I, I'm not saying this metaphorically, I got tunnel vision. My, my vision narrowed down. I could only see in front of me. My, I was doing crazy bug eyes, right? And in a couple of seconds, I have to decide how to respond to this. And this is what went through my head in a couple of seconds. I wanted to hurt him very badly. I didn't. I didn't touch him because if I had, I would have hurt him badly. I wouldn't have just slapped him. I would have broken his nose. But I thought to myself, I can't do that because this is Vermont and I will end up in jail. Even though he was the aggressor, I will pay the price. And viewers and listeners, if you've, if you've paid attention to this show long enough, you know that I'm telling you the truth. You know that I would have been blamed for this. Um, and I thought, I can't call the cops either. I thought about that because, because wh wh how's that gonna work? I'm gonna call the cops because this guy kicks me in the boot. Yeah, I know, and I can anticipate too. I, I know I, I know some of the feedback I'm gonna get here. You would have broken his nose just because he kicked you in the boot. I'm telling you how I felt emotionally. Yeah, it, it was that angry making. And you would, have been, you would have been about that angry yourself too, had this man treated you the way he treated me. But I'm gonna call the cops and they're gonna say, they may not say it right out, but they're gonna say it with their eyes and they're gonna say it with their tone of voice. Oh, what, he kicked you in your boot, you little pussy? Can't take care of yourself? That's what would have happened. So I could do nothing. I yelled at him. I said, get the fuck away from me. And then I beelined away from him to stop myself from hurting him. And I sat in my car and I screamed. I was just absolutely furious. And I had to sit there for a while and calm down until I was calm enough to drive. That... That is a consequence of something that's been going on for years in this country. There is nothing normal about that. You could say reasonably that you don't see people like me standing out there and cussing out cashiers. Well, I didn't cuss them out, but dressing down cashiers the way I did. You're right. Do you know why you don't see more of it? It's not that they don't have it coming. They do. This is widespread in the service industry. This is customer mistreatment. I'm not the aggressor here. I wouldn't put up with it, and I called it out. And I called it out in front of other people who had all seen it. Yes, I did it deliberately. Yes, I meant to shame him. No, I don't take it back. Yes, I'll do it again. I should not have to. But we have gotten to a place where I wish I'd clipped this one from Twitter. Somebody had a really good response um, when I talked about this. Ah, it was, it was a woman who grew up in East Germany um, before the Berlin Wall fell. And she, I, I told this whole story on Twitter. And she reacted to the part about the customer taking this guy's side and trying to put me in my place. She said, this is exactly what it was like in communist East Germany. 
You never, no matter how provoked you were, no matter how mistreated you were, if you are of a certain class of people, the customer, the kulak, you know, I'm a customer, so I'm automatically above that guy and I have to, I have to be nice to him. He can be shitty to me because he's lower on the totem pole. And if I say anything, I'm the aggressor. She's like, this is how people treated you. She says, it sounds exactly like East Germany. She said, and it chills me because I'm seeing it here in America. Anyway, that's enough of that story. I want to talk about Hanlon's razor. That is the idea that, well, I'll give it to you in the form of a tweet exchange. So I, somebody said to me on Twitter, never, here's Hanlon's razor, never attribute to malice that which can be sufficiently explained by stupidity. And he added, this tweet user said, sufficient stupidity is indistinguishable from malice. I responded, don't quote Hanlon's razor at me. It's wrong. And people who do this are part of the problem dismissed. Twitter user, I'm sorry I was that sharp with you. You personally didn't deserve that. This is the end point of people quoting Hanlon's razor at me, and I just kind of lost my cool with it. Um, Because I have lost my cool with it. I don't want to hear about Hanlon's razor. It is wrong in our current context. These sorts of truisms are context dependent. People who still believe this are living in 2015 or earlier. They are not living in the 2020s. I am going to reintroduce Slocum's razor, which I believe is more appropriate and effective in 2023, and that is never attribute to stupidity that which is better explained by narcissism. Mm -hmm. But there's somebody who's got one even better than me, and he is a Substack user. He uses the name of a famous Soviet defector whom you should look up and listen to his lectures because he tried to warn America about the creeping communist infiltration. So this Substack writer, who's a great writer, he uses this guy's name. He calls himself Yuri Besimov. And this is his razor. We'll put it on the screen. Always attribute to malice that which has continued too long to be explained by stupidity. Thank you. Thank you. Hanlon's razor is not fit for purpose in 2023. It's not. We are not looking at people who are ignorant any longer. We are looking at people who have an agenda. We are looking at people who are self-centered and egotistical and dictatorial and authoritarian. And they get away with it because they know that you, the great unwashed masses, you still believe in the nice lessons that your mommy and daddy taught you. Always assume the best always give the benefit of the doubt. That's why a lot of people look at me and think that I am unusually mean and caustic. And to some degree I am, but I'm not nearly as mean as I appear to be because of the scenery around me, right? I wouldn't have to do this. I wouldn't feel compelled to do it the way I do feel compelled if we weren't in so much bullshit. So I'm, I'm not going to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to be charitable because we're in danger now. We did a show, it might even be six months old now, called War Footing. And I said in that show, I believe that we are in full cultural civil war. I still believe that. I did not make that up for one show. We are in cultural civil war. I am on war footing. 
No, I will not beat my sword into a plowshare while other people sharpen their swords. And if you do, you're a fool. Right before we go to the break, I just wanted to share something with you. This was a delight to see. This is a tweet from the Democrats. I think it's a political action committee. And it says, unlike Republicans, we stand with trans kids across the country. And then it repeats five times, protect trans kids, protect trans kids, protect trans kids, protect trans kids, protect trans kids. You know that, that thing that the left does? You know, repeat things five to seven times and that makes them true? Like a little baby would do? Well, unprompted, nothing to do with me, never heard of this person before in my life. First Twitter response I see from the redheaded libertarian. She writes, protect cluster B mothers, protect cluster B mothers, protect cluster B mothers, protect cluster B mothers, protect cluster B mothers. <laughs> yes, yes, it is very gratifying to see other people see it and say it, finally. We're going to end before we go to the break with some video of House Representative Elise Stefanik questioning the presidents of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the University of Pennsylvania. Why is she questioning them? Representative Stefanik is questioning them because of the, well, these are charge terms, anti-Semitic protests in support of, well, allegedly in support of Gaza, uh, people in Gaza. But yes, my opinion is that they are, in fact, in support of the terrorist group Hamas. I realize that some of you read it differently. I get it. Um, but these demonstrations were calling for intifada, which is holy war against the Jews. I'll just, I'll, this video speaks for itself. Let's play it out. Thank you. Ms. Stefanik, you're recognized for five minutes. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to it's free speech... It's a yes speech. or no question. Is that correct? Pardon me, not is University of Pennsylvania, okay Harvard. okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech It's a yes extends. or no question. This president is a black woman, by the way. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, Intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the Intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for Intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is also... against the code of conduct at Harvard? 
we embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech and not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you speech, testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech, speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression even of views that are objectionable. You and I both and know that's offensive. not the case. You were aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? As I observed earlier, I reject that characterization. It's the of data our shows it's true. And isn't it true that Harvard previously rescinded multiple offers of admissions for applicants and accepted freshmen for sharing offensive memes, uh, racist statements, sometimes as young as 16 years old? Did Harvard not rescind those offers of admission? That long predates my time as president. But you so understand that Harvard made that decision to rescind those offers of admission. I have no reason to contradict the facts as you present them. Correct, here. because it's a fact. You're also aware that a Winthrop House faculty dean was let go over, he, over who he chose to legally represent, correct? That was while you were dean. That is an incorrect characterization of what transpired. What's the characterization? I'm not going to get into details about a personnel matter. Well, let me ask you this. Will admissions offers be rescinded or any disciplinary action be taken against students or applicants who say, from the river to the sea or intifada, advocating for the murder of Jews? As I've said, that type of hateful, reckless, offensive speech is personally abhorrent to me. Today that when no action will be taken. What action will be taken? When speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies, including policies against bullying, harassment, or intimidation, we take action. And we have robust disciplinary processes that allow us to hold individuals accountable. What action has been taken? <laughs> okay. Uh, let me correct myself. Uh, we're, we're not actually going to play it out. Uh, this was longer than I anticipated. This is Claudine Gay, who's the president of Harvard. Um, I incorrectly said University of Pennsylvania. That was wrong. We're talking... Harvard. And um, another clip from the same hearing that I don't have for you, you can look it up online, has the president of MIT answering the same questions from Elise Stefanik. This is what's important to understand here. Kevin and I were talking about this last night um, while we were getting ready for the show today. And um, this is not, we're not talking about whether this is protected speech under the First Amendment. That's very important, please, viewers and listeners. It's very important that you understand this. We are not debating this as First Amendment protected speech. That's not what's at issue here. What is at issue here is the college's printed code of conduct, okay? The college's own codes of conduct, all of these colleges, you heard Ms. Gay, President Gay, say, this is contrary to our values. It's also contrary to a reasonable reading of the college's code of conduct. Remember, codes of conduct are not the same thing as the Constitution. Again, we're not saying that free speech doesn't protect this in an American government sense. We're saying, is this, 
in line with your code of conduct. She won't answer. She evades. She uses academic speak. The president of um, MIT in that hearing as well that you can uh, look up for yourself did exactly the same thing. She gave exactly the same answer. She said, when it, uh, it's prohibited when it becomes conduct. They're lying to you. They are lying to you because their codes of conduct quash speech all the time. Any speech that is to the right of the hard progressive left, they call that speech, not action, not physical action. They call that speech bullying, harassment, and yes, violence. They call words violence. We all know this. And yet, and yet, when you have a group of students out there calling for the genocide of Jews, that's not action, it's not harassment, it's not bullying. Oh, it's personally abhorrent to me. Shut up. Shut up. This is what Cluster B looks like at the high-functioning, respectable, elite level. This is what it looks like there. These are the clever Cluster Bs. They're not the disorganized ones. They're not screaming and emoting all over the place. They're the dangerous ones. Time for a break. Um, we would love to have your support. As I said last week, we don't have advertisers and sponsors because we are toxic. So toxic. We only have you. We have a dedicated group of people who very kindly, thank you everyone, who financially support our show. Will you join them, please? We could use your help to make it. There's two ways to do it. You can do it through our Substack, or you can do it through the other uh, platform called Subscribestar. Go to disaffectedpod.substack.com, sign up there, or go to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. And if you join and show financial support, you'll get an invitation to our private members-only Discord chat server. Thanks very much. We'll see you on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. People are waking up all over the place and they're getting really, really tired of communist woke. It's happening all over the place. I'm seeing it on Twitter, as we talked about in the first segment, first block. This man is tired of it in video games. This is a podcaster. I'm sorry. I, 
he keeps going, it's something babyface. I did look his name up and I didn't write it down and I'm sorry, some of you will recognize him. Here's what he has to say about Woken video games. I just want to say something to you, Bethesda. Just want to say a little, little something. There is nothing I love more. Taking my headphones off, fuck that. Bethesda, there is nothing I love more than to, to, to sit down, comfy chair, turn on my PC, fire up a brand new RPG, uh, uh, lose myself, think, oh my God, just think of this world, just think of all the planets I can visit, all the immersive things that I can get involved with, all the fights, all the relationships, all the people I meet, all the places I go. I'm so excited to go there. And you know, I love nothing more than with all of that laid out in front of me. I love nothing more than to be dragged out at every fucking conceivable opportunity so you can fucking current day us. Sorry, did you want to get immersed in our world? Yeah, well, guess what? Fucking pronouns! Fucking gender ambiguity! Fucking current day Californian shit! Cause that's all we fucking know! Cause we're boring! We're so fucking boring! We can't see past our own fucking reflection! That's the level of our narcissism here at Bethesda Western Game Company! Fuck your immersion! Fuck you having a good time! Fuck you falling into a world and just getting lost! No, no, no! Current fucking day! Fuck off! You're boring! You're fucking dull! You have nothing to say! You are a one hived mind twat waffle! That's all you fucking are! And you wonder why people are getting so fucking sick and tired! You take everything we love, all our immersions, all our fantasies, all our escapism, and you just can't help shovel your dog shit fucking crap ideology into everything, every single solitary fucking thing! I feel you. I feel you, sir. Especially that sigh at the end. <laughs> I recognize it. Speaks for itself. This is, this is going to, more of this is going to happen. This is normal. This is not a man out of control. This is not, oh my goodness, he's immature. People can only take so fucking much. I'm glad to see this. I want to see more of this. And there is going to be more of it. And it's going to be louder. And some people are going to go farther than him. They're going to go farther than me. They're actually going to hurt shit. No, I'm not endorsing violence. I'm saying this is what's going to happen. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep taking. Keep contaminating every single aspect of culture. From video games to books to movies, to television series, to children's programming, to the curriculum in public schools, to the steins outside some restaurants in cities like ours about respecting the staff's pronouns. You keep pushing, we're gonna fucking fight back and you are not going to like it. 
You don't like that man yelling? <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. You will. Here's a little bit of a white pill for you. We've talked a lot ad nauseum about trans and how trans has taken over everything to the ridiculous point that we are living in a satire of reality where actual schools, colleges across the country have actual men that they call women on sports teams beating the women because they have male bodies. And for the almost three years that Kevin and I have been doing this show, I have been yammering on and on when the hell are women going to stand up for themselves en masse? I know that a lot of the feminists have. They, they, in fact, again, I give credit where it's due, even if I'm not ideologically with the feminists. They were the first ones to see and say this, and they have been saying it for a very long time. But now, women en masse are seeing it. This is an exchange between U.S. House of Representatives um, Rep. Summer Lee and Riley Gaines, and Riley Gaines is a swimmer, a uh, female swimmer, gorgeous Amazon too. I mean, take a look at her when we roll the video. Um, she's, Riley Gaines has had enough of this bullshit and she's testifying in front of Congress. Let's play that clip, please. Just teamwork and goal setting. In terms of mental health, studies show that participating in youth sports is associated with lower rates of anxiety and depression, lower amounts of stress, higher self-esteem and confidence. Women must stop. Inclusion cannot be prioritized over safety and fairness. And Ranking Member Lee, if my testimony makes me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. Thank you. I now, thank you, uh, Ms. Gaines. I now recognize Ms. Perry for her opening statements. Good afternoon, Chairman McLean, Ranking Member Lee, and distinguished Actually, members we can, of Actually, we can end this clip here, My Kevin. name is Sarah Parshall-Perry. Um, what ends up happening uh, after this is uh, this, this, this woman, uh, Ms. Perry, has to stop several times because Representative Summer Lee, um, whom Riley just called a misogynist, was so narcissistically injured by this that she interrupted Ms. Perry's testimony. She insisted that everything stop, and she insisted that Riley Gaines's testimony be struck from the record. Right there. She had a tantrum right there in the middle of it. You can you can watch it online. We're not going to bring it to you. Um, good for Riley Gaines. I, I, I quibble a little bit. I, misogyny is overused. I don't think it actually makes sense to call. This is abuse. It's absolutely abuse and it's affecting women. But I don't think it makes sense to call it misogyny. I'll leave that alone and leave it for another time. The point is. It is wonderful to see young women like Riley Gaines stand up and say that in Congress on C-SPAN on national network television. It's great. More of that, please. We're going to go back to the theme of what we talked about in the first half of this show. And I call this the war. Uh, it's not my phrase. I always forget. Was it Steve? Is it Steve Salerno who came up with this? The war on noticing. If it wasn't him, it was someone else. Whoever you are, I'm sorry. I'll give you credit uh, when I can remember your name. But it's the war on noticing and the war on questioning. And uh, again, I worked out what I wanted to talk about this week on Twitter, so I'll give you the tweet. Have you noticed a creeping social change over the past 10 years? Asking questions about situations, a crime, a product you're trying to figure out, just about anything. 
Asking questions now often provokes a baffled reaction in other people. They act as though your request for clarification is somehow strange or unreasonable, when it's really very obviously not those things. It's as if people are actually offended when you notice that something doesn't add up or is not presented clearly. The default reaction for many is to act as though you, the questioner, should just give the benefit of the doubt. Don't ask the question. It's as if your noticing of an inconsistency is out of bounds and has committed some kind of social sin or is, is a personal attack on them. So that's my tweet. This provoked many responses, too. Many very gratifying responses. I'm going to start out with um, a Twitter user, an um, actor. Uh, he's in the film industry. I don't know if he's acting uh, right now or what he's doing. David Cray. He said, I went to a major retailer today, confirmed online that the item was in stock before going. Got there. Product is nowhere to be found. So I asked a store clerk if she knew where it might be. Quote, we have so many products, we don't know where everything is, she snarked. What the fuck, David asks. He continues, I had even said hello in a polite way to her and her colleague, asking them how they were today. Her colleague helped me, and we walked away to search for the item while the snarky, he says B with an itch, while the snarky B with an itch continued throwing dirty looks. It's going to be a fun holiday season shopping with her. <laughs> yeah. You've heard this story from me. It's, do you see, skeptics? you see that it's not Josh Slocum's personal problem? It's not. Matt Antar said, yes, 100%. And he gives a series of quotes from, um, that, that are typical from these people. His question, is COVID really worth locking down over? Their response, conspiracy theorist. His question, won't defunding the police have some bad consequences? Their response, racist. His question, should we be performing mastectomies on healthy children? Their response, transphobe. His question, shouldn't we be spending our money here instead of in Ukraine? Their response, Putin puppet. Yeah, this is how they respond. This is how the left responds. Yeah, I know, not all. Not all, not all, not all. You know what? For Christmas, I'm going to get you guys a present. Hold me to this because I'll probably forget. And if I do forget in the new year, tell me about it. I'm going to buy a basket and I'm going to put about 150 not alls in it. And every time I have to do this, I'm going to throw some at the screen for you. and You're going to have to catch it. You know, I say supply your own not-alls. Well, I'm going to be your Santa Claus this year. I'm going to get you your not-alls. <laughs> Twitter user Stepford Wife responded a thousand times, yes. In fact, even the most straightforward request for service is being met with incredulous responses. Example, calling the pharmacy for a simple prescription refill, and they speak to you as though you called them at home and interrupted their dinner. Uh-huh, they sure do. Stumptown Girl says, people don't want to spend time learning boring facts and they dislike being confu feeling confused. So they just go with the easiest answer and they don't like it when you point this out to them. Jealousy and sloth. 
uh, Stumptown Girl had uh, another. She added, just asking a question means you're, capital O, the oppressor. Asking for a rational debate marks you as a bigot. Simply trying to learn more by asking why is racist. User Carney Yogi, sound like Carney Wilson, but with yoga, <laughs> says, I used to think about cognitive dissonance as something that is triggered about questions and facts about certain subjects. But apparently people are so triggered that questioning anything can lead to distress. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm pointing out. It's it's not even con it's not even context dependent anymore. It's you simply you don't even have to ask the question. If you indicate even in the most subtle way, like you raise your eyebrow or you go, "Hmm," if you even in body language indicate that you have a question about something, they get on the defensive. This is weird. I've been a, an observer of human behavior my, well, like everybody has. Well, I've been an observer of human behavior my entire life. <laughs> I, I suspect probably more than the average person. I've always been fascinated by what makes people tick. That's why I do this show. That's why I'm so interested in psychology. To me, the most interesting thing, the thing that fascinates me the most, I want to figure out people and their motivations. I want to see the clockwork inside. I want to see all of it. So I've, you know, I've, I've constant, I've been analyzing people saying, why did she do that? Why did he do that? Why did they react that way? Has been a constant dialogue in my head since I was a small boy. And I know that what I'm seeing now isn't something I'm making up. It is real. It's a change. And it's, it's been coming on for a long time, but two things, Trump in 2016, uh, pushed it down the track a lot farther, so it covered a lot of ground really quickly. And then our response to the alleged pandemic that didn't happen, we didn't actually have a pandemic, wasn't real. Um, we called it that, but there was no worldwide plague. Um, even if there was a virus, even if people got sick and died, it was not anything like a pandemic in the way that we understood that word before Anthony Fauci. That is a fact, not Josh's opinion. But COVID, our response to COVID, kicked this into overdrive. I it. I'm not convinced it didn't put the nail in our coffin as a culture. I'm not convinced we're getting back out of this. Uh, back to the responses from Twitter users about, you know, have you noticed that you can't question anything? KGB says, ah, ah, I think I mentioned this earlier. Absolutely. I have noticed this and it reminds me too much of how people in East Germany reacted. Way too much, she said. It's like Yuri Besmanov when he came over in the 80s and 90s and tried to tell us, you guys are being infiltrated by communists and you're going along with it because just the fact that I said that means you're going to laugh at me. That's that's how bad it is. User LB, another Twitter follower, said, this is something that I think of as the libs of TikTok phenomenon. All Chaya Raichik did, Chaya Raichik is the woman behind the account Libs of TikTok. All Chaya Raichik did was repackage stuff that had been publicly posted. I was in, I was deep in leftism and I only knew that Libs of TikTok was bad. Once I realized that Chaya's crime was just noticing, I started rethinking things. Yeah, that's a lot of us. That's, that's a lot of us former lefties there. And I chimed back in and I said, you see, this is every fucking day in a lot of places. This is not normal. It absolutely was not like this even five years ago. 
we've gone from the stupid, the customer is always right, and that was stupid, and it was often abusive to employees. We've gone from that to employees are doing good when they abuse customers who are doing nothing wrong. That's, what, that's where we are today. They are doing a good thing when they abuse customers. Why? Because we're kulaks. Customers are kulaks. Because I'm spending the money and you're a wage slave. I'm the oppressive bourgeoisie, even though I don't make very much money, <laughs> much more money than a lot of these people who wait on me, if that. I'm a kulak. So are you when you're a customer. And really good contributions to this from a Twitter follower named Richard T. Polardi. Richard said, there's this weird sort of noblesse oblige in the middle class that excuses every single bit of this kind of behavior. It's fucking creepy. Obviously, no one should be shitty to a service worker without cause. Agreed. He says, that's out of line and they're well within their right to fight back. But there's this common and extremely patronizing line of reasoning that basically says, oh, they've had a hard life, so any kind of garbage behavior they exhibit is totally fine and we have to put up with it. Bingo. He continues, um, no. If I treat someone with courtesy, I expect the same in return. And if they don't, then I'm returning fire. Yep. Good. Thank you for saying it, Richard. It, it, he, he was so good on this. I, I, I quote him one, two, three more times. Let's go. I've had this happen from retail outlets to well-respected medical institutions. The University of Chicago medical system, for example, is pretty good, but most of the administrative staff is appallingly rude, like not just a little surly, actually aggressive and hostile. I saw the receptionist barking at some poor, confused little old lady because she wasn't being clear about something. My parents saw a receptionist dump a tablet, as in an iPad, dump a tablet in front of an ill woman in her 80s to check herself in and refuse to help. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. One more from Richard. Call it Karening if you want. I don't give a fuck. We need to start getting these people fired. Too resentful of your shitty job to be polite? Find another one. I don't have a right to ruin someone's day if I'm having a tough time, and neither do they. Amen. User Peggy, Peggy Sue Allen, she says, Now, everyone, now everyone seems under 25 years of age with a flat affect, no desire or motivation to help me at all. They even move more slowly. It's very strange and sad. She says, for example, shopping at Whole Foods a year ago was a joy. Employees would stop me throughout the store to ask if I was finding everything okay or if I wanted a sample. Questions were either answered immediately or someone would gladly scurry off to find an expert. Not now. Not now. Finally on this, Elise Machia says... I noticed this behavior on election day this year in my blue precinct. I pass out Republican sample ballots at the polling places. It used to be that someone might say, no thanks, I'm a Democrat, or pass by politely enough. This year, I've been called racist as I'm standing there, as we're standing there. Yep, that's true. All right, <laughs> this is the last part of the show here. 
I'm going to have a hard time with this. Um, we're going to bring back the girl that we introduced you to in the introduction. And it's very funny. And I'm probably going to crack up and laugh. But I have a serious and actually non-snarky point to make about this. Um, let, 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 let's bring her on, Kevin. My name is Diddy. <laughs> and I'm non-binary. <laughs> My pronouns are she, they. And I'm queer. And this is me officially coming out. <laughs> Oh my god! This <laughs> <laughs> feels really good. reminded me of <laughs> only a few of you are going to get it and one of you knows exactly who you are it reminds me of the opening of several madonna concerts i've been to because that woman um uh, she can't she's she's still obsessed with her catholicism so she often opens shows i mean her shows are amazing they're technically amazing it's really entertaining whether you like the woman or not uh, but she often opens her show with some version of of her madonna in her own voice speaking the act of contrition and as soon as this one comes on i'm hearing madonna from behind a screen as she's opening and the curtain is coming up on the stage going oh my god oh my god <laughs> Okay. All right. That's the laughy part. Let's get to the serious part. I want you to see this, and I, and I want to say this because it illustrates a point that I think many conservatives miss, um, and many people who are not as knowledgeable about how um, childhood psychological trauma affects people make a mistake when, when they look at people like this. So... Um, I'm going to use Diddy as an example of how people like her, this is, this is clear emotional dysregulation, it's clear histrionics, um, this is all I have to go on, but if you, if you ask me to quote diagnose, I'd say we're looking at somebody with, with borderline and histrionic personality disorder features very clearly here. Um, but a lot of people look at this and they take an either or approach to figuring out what motivates a young woman like this. And I think both and is more accurate. Here's what I mean by that. People reacting to videos like this, they bifurcate. You know, they go for one answer or another. They treat it as either or and they say, so group A, group A of people reacting says, she's traumatized and she's suffering, right? Then group B comes along and group B says, 
she's not traumatized and she's never been traumatized and she's not suffering. Um, and group B will often uh, often say, um, you know, no, actually, I'll get to that later. So we've got group A who says she's traumatized and suffering. Group B who says she's not traumatized. She's not been traumatized. She's not suffering. I come in and I generally say she likely has been traumatized. I don't mean she's been traumatized by pronouns because that's a, that's that's a part of her current mental illness. It's not something that's actually a trauma. And she probably is suffering. She probably has suffered and she probably is suffering right now. But that does not mean that her behavior is proportionate or acceptable. There's both and, okay? So, yes, like critics, I notice that this woman doesn't seem to be producing actual tears. I see that. I see that this is put on to some degree. Um, I also see the consciously performative emotion, and it is put on. It's it's hyped up. Even if she's feeling some of this, she's she's over-egging it, as, as it were. So if you're, if you're a skeptic, if you're in group B and you're like, she's never been traumatized, she's not suffering, she's making it all up, I want you to notice that I'm acknowledging your point. I just acknowledged it. I, like you, I do see the performative affected thing going on here, okay? So I've, I've given you that and I ask you in return, stay with me anyway, okay? Be willing to hear that there are two things going on at the same time. The fact is that most people who come from normal, stable upbringings, normal parenting, not abuse and not neglect, those kinds of people are highly unlikely to even be motivated to put on this kind of performance. That's not something that motivates a person who had a good upbringing. It just isn't. This isn't normal. You know it's not normal, but I, I'm, I'm taking you deeper in because I want you to understand where it comes from. The motivation to perform this way almost always indicates an actually traumatic or neglectful childhood. Really. Yeah, even if she was middle class, even if she never went hungry. Yep. I never went hungry. I definitely had a traumatic childhood. Even though she's putting on exaggerated emotion, it's still true that she likely had a neglectful or abusive childhood. And this is where I part ways with people like Matt Walsh, uh, conservative commentator Matt Walsh, who I agree with on 90 to 95 percent of what he says. Um, I'm an un unashamed, unapologetic Matt Walsh fan. Um, he, he is the kind of man who would have triggered me. I would have fucking hated him 10 years ago had I known who he was. But I had a lot of work to do 10 years ago. I was I was. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I really like Matt Walsh, and we need more Matt Walsh energy in our society. But there are a couple things I think he gets wrong, and this is one of them. He and many people like him will often say that a person like this was probably raised just fine. They've never been deprived of anything. They have no reason to act this way. They're just brats and tantrum throwers. Um, they seem to believe, the Matt Walshes on this topic, seem to believe that we are in our society experiencing a bumper crop of people who were just born bad for no reason. Comes out of nowhere, right? They just popped out that way. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. There's a reason for this. I see both and here, not either or. I see likely, I can only guess, but likely I, I see a background of trauma in this girl. Even though the things she's currently claiming are traumatizing her are ridiculous, they're not reasonable, and they should not be coddled, this behavior should not be coddled, 
I think she probably did come from abuse. It's not just the histrionic emotions, it's, it's the excessive obesity, right? Look, I know I'm overweight too. We're talking about me too. I mean, there's a reason, you know, there's a reason for these things. It's my responsibility and her responsibility, but they don't come out of nowhere, right? And to, to wrap this up, I, th I, think I, can, I think I can give you a bridge. If you're still a skeptic, I think I can give you a bridge that will help you connect this. Let's talk about psychopaths, real uncontroversial psychopaths, a Ted Bundy and Ed Gein and Ed Kemper, um, Richard Ramirez. Okay, think of an actual psychopath, Ted Bundy. And if you are a true crime watcher or listener, you know this is true. What I'm going to say to you, um, you will know is true, although you may not have made the connection. When you look at the literature, and I mean people who really study psychopaths, people like Richard Hare, um, who wrote the book and developed the psychopathy scale that's used to test people, the vast majority of, of uh, I should, let me, let me not, let me not do the thing I'm always telling other people not to do. This is not all psychopaths. Only a small minority of psychopaths are actual killers, right? So what I'm talking about is not psychopaths. I'm talking about violent psychopaths who are killers or serial killers. Um, when you look at their backgrounds, the vast majority of them come from extraordinarily abusive households. Um, the vast majority come from households headed by a cluster B mother. Yeah. Dad has problems too. Sometimes dad is violent, but more often he isn't even there, right? So they do come from trauma and abuse. That is what creates, along with, you know, inborn tendencies that might have been pushed in a more productive way if they'd come from a loving home, but they didn't come from a loving home. And so they ended up being psychopaths. So if you can understand that, if you can accept that, and you do, those of you who know what I'm talking about, you accept that murderous psychopaths are not, we're not excusing them. We're not saying, oh, you were beaten up as a kid. It's fine that you raped and killed these women. We understand, sweetie. No one is saying that. I'm not saying that. You're not saying that. The legal system isn't saying that. So you have the ability to hold these two things that seem contradictory in your head at the same time. You understand that psychopaths usually come from trauma, but that murderous psychopaths also do absolutely horrible things that should not be coddled. If you are able to grasp that in a Ted Bundy or Richard Ramirez or an Ed Kemper, you are able to grasp this girl too. It, you can, right? Make that connection. So both and, not either or. And that has been disaffected. Thanks very much for watching. We'll see you next week.